European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 39, Issue 44, Focus Issue on Arrhythmias, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Dangerous Encounters, Triggers of Fatal Ventricular Arrhythmias and Safety of Interventional Treatment Strategies. Arrhythmias can be a nuisance or a cause of syncope and deadly events. Sudden cardiac death is still a highly unresolved issue in cardiology. While environmental factors are important for those associated with myocardial infarction, others are mainly due to a genetic disposition, as outlined in a clinical review, Modifier Genes in Sudden Cardiac Death, authored by Peter J. Schwartz and colleagues from the IRCCS Instituto Oxologico Italiano in Milan, Italy. Of note, genetic conditions, even those due to identical gene mutations, can lead to variable clinical manifestations, possibly due to modifier genes. Here, this is addressed for cardiac arrhythmia. In two important clinical conditions, this is associated with the risk for sudden cardiac death, i.e. in a monogenic disorder such as congenital long QT syndrome and in life-threatening arrhythmias in acute myocardial infarction for which the search for genetic modifiers of arrhythmic risk is still challenging. Advances in understanding the contribution of modifier genes to a higher or lower propensity towards sudden death will improve patient-specific risk stratification and be a major step towards precision medicine. Arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, called ARVC, is an important cause of life-threatening ventricular arrhythmias. Desmosomal gene mutations are sometimes identified, but clinical and genetic diagnosis remains challenging. Desmosomal skin disorders can be caused by desmosomal gene mutations or autoantibodies. In a fast-track clinical research paper entitled An Autoantibody Identifies Arrhythmogenic Right Ventricular Cardiomyopathy and Participates in Its Pathogenesis, Robert Murray Hamilton and colleagues from the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, Canada, sought to determine if anti-desmosome antibodies are present in ARVC. They identified anti-DSG2 antibodies in all subjects with definite ARVC and most borderline subjects. Antibodies were mainly absent in two control cohorts. The level of anti-DSG2 antibodies correlated with the burden of premature ventricular beats and they caused gap junction dysfunction in vitro. Thus, anti-DSG2 antibodies are a sensitive and specific biomarker for ARVC. Anti-DSG2 antibodies likely explain the cardiac inflammation that is common in ARVC and may represent a new therapeutic target. These findings are further discussed in a thoughtful editorial by Hugh Calkins from the John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland, USA. Atrial fibrillation and atrial flutter are common arrhythmias with increased use of invasive procedures. A steady re-evaluation of relevant safety endpoints is recommended 
and both quality management and pay-for-performance programs are evolving. In a fast track entitled In-Hospital Mortality of Patients with Atrial Arrhythmias, Insights from the German-wide Helios Hospital Network of 161,502 patients and 34,025 arrhythmia-related procedures, Sebastian Koenig and colleagues from the Leipzig Heart Center in Leipzig, Germany, report overall in-hospital mortality and mortality of invasive arrhythmia-related procedures, as well as mortality predictors, in a Germany-wide hospital network. In 161,502 patients, in-hospital mortality was 0.6%, with a significant decrease from 0.75% to 0.5%, with a P less than 0.01, during the observational period. In multivariable analysis, age, high center volume, emergency hospital admission, and the Charleston Comorbidity Index were independent predictors of in-hospital mortality. Mortality rates were 0.05% for left atrial catheter ablation, 0.3% for right atrial procedures, and 0.56% for implantation of left atrial appendage occluders, respectively. These real-world findings are put into context in an editorial by William Stevenson from the Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, Tennessee, USA. Sudden cardiac arrest accounts for 10% of adult mortality in Western populations. Such an event not only affects cardiac patients, but also younger individuals with a genetic predisposition and athletes. In their article, A Comprehensive Evaluation of the Genetic Architecture of Sudden Cardiac Arrest, Dan E. Arking and colleagues from the SCD Working Group of the CHARGE Consortium identified loci associated with sudden cardiac arrest and risk factors associated with it. In a large genome-wide association study for sudden cardiac arrest involving 3,939 cases and 25,989 controls, no variants were associated with sudden cardiac arrest at genome-wide significance, nor were common variants in candidate arrhythmia genes associated with sudden cardiac arrest at nominal significance. Using cross-trait genetic risk score associations, they established a genetic correlation between sudden cardiac arrest and coronary artery disease and traditional risk factors for it, as well as height and BMI and electrical instability traits, suggesting etiologic roles for these traits in sudden cardiac arrest risk. Thus, a comprehensive approach to the genetic architecture of sudden cardiac arrest can shed light on the determinants of such events. The clinical implications of these findings are outlined in an editorial by Peter J. Schwartz from the IRCCS Instituto Oxologico Italiano in Milan, Italy. Pacemakers and implantable cardioverter defibrillators are established tools to treat brachycardia and tachycardic arrhythmias. Often, patients scheduled for the implantation of such devices are taking anticoagulants for different indications. 
Guidelines recommend warfarin continuation rather than heparin bridging for pacemaker and defibrillator surgery after the bruise control trial demonstrated a huge reduction in pocket hematomas with such an approach. However, today, direct oral anticoagulants, or DOACs, are used to treat the majority of such patients. In their article, Continued versus Interrupted Direct Oral Anticoagulants at the Time of Device Surgery in Patients with Moderate to High Risk of Arterial Thromboembolic Events, or Bruise Control 2, David H. Burney and his colleagues, the Bruise Control 2 investigators, sought to understand the best strategy to manage the DOACs in such a situation. They randomly assigned patients with atrial fibrillation and CHA2DS2VASC score greater than or equal to to continued versus interrupted DOACs. In the continued arm, the median time between pre- and post-operative DOACs doses was 12 hours and in the interrupted arm, 72 hours. Clinically significant hematoma occurred in 2.1% in the continued DOACs arm and in 2.1% in the interrupted arm. Thus, depending on the clinical situation, either management strategy might be reasonable. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.